Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, I'm Will Summer, and welcome to The Daily Beast Fever Dreams. I'm a politics reporter at The Daily Beast. My book on QAnon, Trust the Plan, The Rise of QAnon, and the Conspiracy that Unhinged America, will be available in February and is available for pre-order now. And I'm Kelly Weil. I am also a reporter at The Daily Beast, and I'm the author of the book Off the Edge, Flat Earthers, Conspiracy Culture, and Why People Will Believe Anything. On this podcast, we're going to take you on plunges into the sometimes hilarious, sometimes scary fanatics infecting the way that millions of Americans view the world and how they vote. Even in the aftermath of the Trump administration, the energy of these conspiracy theorists, grifters, and influencers is still pushing our mainstream political landscape closer and closer to a breaking point. Ho, ho, ho. Christmas is over. And I think the jolly old elf himself, St. Nick, he left one more gift under the tree. Why? It's a mailbag episode. Once again, I'm Will Summer, joined as always by Kelly Weil, the old eggnog fan herself. Kelly, how you doing? I'm good. It's the ninth night of Hanukkah. It's the mailbag episode. I'm really stoked to see what residual presents we've got to unwrap here. I think the listeners sent in some great questions. Honestly, I love hearing from folks who listen to Fever Dreams because often there are things that I'm like, yeah, that's a good question. What is going on with that? So let's kick things off. Kelly, would you like to read the first question? Oh, yeah. No, this is a great one. So, Will, did we ever find out what the Cuxbox does? <laughs> did the early backers ever get a device shipped to them? Or did it go the way of Glorify? All right. Glorify, of course, the disgraced anti-woke financial app. So just to lay a little background for folks who were not with us in the glory days of the Cuxbox. So the Cuxbox, this is an electronic device, and it is the creation of Millie Weaver, a former InfoWars reporter who used to go by the alias Millennial Millie. I've actually noticed a lot of these, there were kind of like several women who pitched themselves as like Millennial Will or whatever. It's poor timing, I think, because they started doing that kind of on the nadir of the Millennial era. Millennials are out, Zoomers are in. I just, it didn't leave a lot of branding room for them. So I think maybe we are starting to see some of the Millennial branding drop. Oh, definitely. They've been starting to ditch it because, I mean, it's kind of like now saying you're a millennial is just like, I'm middle-aged. <laughs> I'm wearing skinny jeans. My hair is parted <laughs> on the side. So she's dropped the millennial thing. I mean, her previous claim to fame was that she and one of her siblings got arrested after allegedly stealing their mom's phone. And after her arrest, it was like, Millennial Millie was arrested because the dang deep state was after her. So whatever, the charges were dropped. And so she has time now. <laughs> she and her husband, a guy named Gavin Wentz, what a name. They invented this thing called the Cucks Box. Now that's Q-U-X. And the reason the correspondent here is asking, did we ever find out what it does is because it was very unclear what it did. I mean, it, this was, I think it was sold for roughly 200 bucks. It was billed as like they were going to build their own internet. I mean, it was going to be this whole new world, but it really did not make sense to me. It got a lot of attention. It was in development for a while. And now the answer is it has been out for a few months. So I thought this is a great opportunity to check back in. Now, Kelly, you too have been checking it out and look, 
do they officially call this the quicks box doesn't make any sense to me how it's spelled that they would call it that yes but i think we got to stick with the true spelling or pronunciation the cox box so kelly what's going on yeah, first of all, I'm always going to call it the Cucks box. You can't put that toothpaste back in the tube. It's spelled Cucks. I'm pronouncing it Cucks. But basically, they pitched this Cucks box as sort of an alt internet tool. If you look at their Indiegogo videos about it for their early funding, it's like internet is all built on addiction and control and like oh, maybe a little bit. But what do they propose <laughs> mm-hmm. instead is a different way to access the internet. Now, what have they really rolled out? It looks sort of like maybe the most generous description I can give is sort of like a Roku interface, like sort of an alt way to use your smart TV, something that your parents might give you. And they're like, it's an Amazon Fire Stick. And you're like, great, mom. And it's not really good. (laughs) But they say that it is a new way to like stream digital content, presumably conservative content. And they're letting people set up their own channels there, like almost like a YouTube that very few people watch. Yeah, YouTube's another great comparison. Like, part of our confusion about the Cucks box was that, like, the words they use are not normal words. Like, they were saying, like, you can set up a portal and stuff. But when you look at it, I watched a couple Cucks training videos, and it's like, oh, so you're making a YouTube channel. I got it. We have a screenshot of, like, what it looks like on the Cucks box, and, like, they have all the, everyone's avatars that you can choose to watch their content. So, look, we got a guy with a Punisher skull. We got a guy with a picture of his dog. We got a couple dog pictures, actually. We got something called the Good Kids Club, which also could be the name for this podcast and then we got a guy who kind of like kind of looks like a cyberpunk 2077 guy like he's like revealing some raw truths so (laughs) i also wanted to get in into the reviews so on telegram i follow this character named tori or tor we mentioned her a couple times on the podcast she's got a big fan base she's sort of QAnon adjacent like she's an ally of Sidney powell and she was sort of involved in the cucks box to some extent so her fans still use it i think these are the only people who use the cucks box okay so here's some of the comments just in the past month Cucks is down. Cucks stopped working. It's kind of blurry on Cucks. But there's also some praise. So like Mike Lindell was doing some announcement and I guess he was streaming it also on the Cucks. And someone said, Frank Speech's website is down. But guess what? It's still streaming on Cucks. Welcome to the new internet. (laughs) The new internet. The fact that Frank's speech is down, I do not think is necessarily an endorsement of Cox. You're working from a pretty low bar for both of these. So if one's down and the other's down. Yeah, exactly. The famously reliable Frank's speech. (laughs) The Google of the alternative internet. Yeah, no, I remember when Frank's speech launched and just because I'm a sicko, I tried getting on it and it took like five weeks for it to even start going. So if this is the alt internet, I think they maybe may move a little bit more onto the mainstream because their infrastructure isn't that great. Oh, well, this actually brings me to some interesting claims that the Cucks was recently making on Twitter. They posted something about cybersecurity and they said that Cucks, it can never be hacked. It can never be threatened by, quote, inside threats, which is just means no one can ask for your password or something that's completely impossible to prevent. You just have to have people who know better than to give their username away. But what interested me was right before that tweet, they had to put out a PSA saying, hey, everyone, for those who has, that's an organic grammar issue, for those who has the Cucks box, (laughs) we understand that some people are seeing it, quote, OTA argent error when doing their update. That's okay. You're just going to have a different window of opportunity to update your box. This is the funniest 
thing. Like if I'm trying to play a game and it's not loading and they're like, don't worry, you'll just have a different window of opportunity to use this software. <laughs> the replies actually suggest even further technological devolution. Someone says, how do we reset our pin? And they said, there will be an update that makes it so that you can reset your pin. For now, you can make a new profile <laughs> with a new pin. So, hey, sorry, bud, your account is gone. It's never this coming back. This thing is back. so broken. People paid like 200 bucks for this. And now, Kelly, you've got some stats on Cuck's usage as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. So Cuck's was kind enough to have a little humble brag, talk about their user numbers. And I'd like to share those with you now. Well, it is users 2,322. Oh, brother, that's not so good. <laughs> I've got like that many followers in my Mastodon account now, okay? And I set that up in November. <laughs> Live streamers, 104. Portals. I don't know what a portal is. We portal's like a channel, I think. Oh, okay. Well, it's so obvious, Kelly. Come on. <laughs> well, listen, if you want a portal, they have 720 to choose from. And here's my favorite. Do you know how many merchants they have? How many? 12. 12 merchants. So listen, you go on the Cucks, you browse the dozen shopkeepers, and you build a little Cucks community. Well, this thing is so funny. I mean, you've spent a little time studying this and still like this page, you're looking at it and you're like, okay, what's a portal and what's a merchant? It's very confusing. The last thing I would flag about the Cucks is it really has failed at its fundamental goal. The whole idea of the Cucks is that this is like, it's like a censorship free platform. You're supposed to, this is outside of the control of big tech, of YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, whatever. I was looking at the Cucks and I was like, wait, how are they handling the bandwidth for people uploading all these videos? Like, how can they afford all this? Because this is a bare bones operation. Well, the answer is they're not handling the bandwidth. They're streaming it from YouTube. So now they may have fixed this since the this intro video was made a few months ago, but it said, well, you actually can't upload stuff to Cucks. So you have to stream it from YouTube. So I think they're just stealing bandwidth from Google, but also like you're not escaping the censorship if it has to be something that can be uploaded on YouTube. So this whole thing is like a fancy YouTube box that doesn't work. Like you might as well just use the YouTube app on Roku. This rules. This is like all the other efforts to create an alt tech thing. Get the censorship free phone. It's something that's being mass produced in China by like Huawei or whatever. That's awesome. Personally, I call my laptop the YouTube box anyway, so it's <laughs> in good company. So Cux, dead in the water, but it's not going anywhere, I think is our review. I really appreciate this opportunity to check back in on it. Hi, Fever Dreams. Longtime listener, first-time emailer. I was wondering how the right-wing conspiracy rationalizes this idea that Trump plays 4D chess, yet continues to surround himself with people who later turn on him, Bill Barr, Mike Pence, etc., etc., and has dinners with people like Nick Fuentes, and then later claims that he just didn't know who this person was. If Trump is so in, in control and playing 4D chess, why does he make so many terrible decisions? <laughs> and how do these folks square his constant errors with the idea that he's their god emperor? How do they reconcile this? Or do they? Great question. Kelly, what's your take? Oh, man. So I feel like this can work a couple ways. You can do this sort of the easy mode or the hard mode. Frankly, the easy mode is just really selective amnesia. Trump can do no wrong, whatever. Bar, oh, well, forget that guy. But there's also the people who will theorize that like every mistake that Trump appears to make in public is actually just him weaving the web a little bit, pulling these people closer to him. Maybe the example that stands out in my mind is like at the George H.W. Bush funeral and people are like, why is Trump? 
I'm surrounded by all these rhinos. And their answer was like, oh, don't worry. He's actually gathering them all there so that they can be rounded up and sent to Gitmo as soon as the funeral ends. So there's really this idea of Trump being keeping his friends close and his enemies closer, I think, is one possible explanation that they offer. That's a great one. I mean, the classic issue where this comes up is this video of Trump palling around with Jeffrey Epstein, right? And people say, oh, like, checkmate, QAnon idiots. Trump is clearly hanging out with these creeps. But they say... Oh, au contraire. He was investigating Epstein's circle. Now, why did he appoint Alex Acosta, the guy who cut a sweetheart deal for Epstein's prosecution, to a cabinet seat? Well, he did it so it would later blow up and draw more attention to Epstein's sinister ring. So that's kind of the 4D chess thing. Now, I do agree with, with our writer here. The runway for that sort of starts to run out after six years of this, where he's doing things like, it's just hard for it to square this idea that this is a guy who should be in charge of the most powerful country in the world, yet, oh, Nick Fuentes just blundered his way in. Nick Fuentes, who I don't think is like, I don't know, like a tactical genius, is somehow able to get a dinner with Trump and Trump just didn't know. We also run here into the classic idea that like the king cannot fail, the king can only be failed. And so it's like, oh, those damn people around Trump. Why does he hire these idiots? The thing I would also say is I feel like we are actually seeing more from the Republican pundit class. We're seeing more talk about this idea that Trump really is really bad at hiring people, which is true. But I think people are starting to be more open about it, where it's like, now, from their perspective, it's usually not this person is a Stephen Miller right wing nut guy. But it's more like these people are so incompetent that they aren't implementing our sinister goals effectively enough. But I do think we're starting to see a little more discussion of that. Right. Absolutely. And I think maybe one more turn on this is that a lot of QAnon people Frankly, I don't know what they would do if they actually got the revelations that they've been waiting for. A lot of them are so invested in watching what they describe as a movie. And so they for six years now have been talking about we're just getting to the good part. He's setting up the play and the fact that he was in power for four years and that he ostensibly did have the capabilities to expose the deep state, to expose the pedophilic satanic cabal or whatever and didn't do it. That doesn't really seem to bother them because in their minds or at least in their gab posts, they're always moving closer to that reveal. And so I think as long as they can frame it as like another set piece, another plot point that's going to have this great cinematic conclusion, they can kind of gloss over what are really a series of failures. I mean, if there's one thing that's true, it's that there's kind of a divide here between, I think, what we might think of as like regular hardcore Republicans and then people who are like, trust the plan, there's QAnon going on here. I think both of those groups have managed to like to handle cognitive dissonance pretty well over the past few years. It's just beautiful, smooth, resilient brains. I envy them. Yeah, I mean, so this is a question that I sort of encounter in my own life a lot where people say, well, why can these people still support Trump, but he does this? And the answer is they kind of shrug it off or they say, well, Hillary Clinton murdered Vince Foster. So what are we going to do? I guess we're stuck <laughs> with this Trump guy. So yeah, a good question. All right. Well, this is a good question about Republican inertia. And the writer says, with Republicans faring really poorly in the midterms and their messages of doom and gloom fall flat why have they continued with the same themes well isn't that one of the eternal themes of this podcast (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean i think so this question i think we received before herschel walker lost in georgia but i mean it still stands so this is i don't think that at the midterms have yet really sunk in for republicans certainly i mean I, i think there are certainly operatives who are saying oh geez we need a course correction but i think this is kind of going to be the story of the next couple of years on the republican party is the establishment trying to steer the trump base towards a guy who might be more palatable whether that's ron desantis i mean i'm sure they would it would be a dream to get like glenn youngkin or 
or probably not Larry Hogan, but instead they are going to be facing people who believe that Trump is going to save the world or at least that he's their guy. And so I think since the midterms, we've really seen only a doubling down on like, oh, God, like we got to go all in on the anti-trans kids in sports or we have to go in on proving that Barry Weiss was shadow banned or something like that on Twitter. And I just don't think that these are I mean, it's not up to me. I think the midterms showed that these are not really themes that really resonate with the electorate. So. I don't know why they keep doing it. I mean, what do you think, Kelly? I mean, I think self-reflection is really hard. Last episode, Jim Small from Arizona made that same point. He said, look at after the 2012 election, Republicans kind of had this come to Jesus moment where they said, "Okay, this thing with Mitt Romney didn't work. What are we going to do? Are we going to course correct? And they just really didn't do that. And so I think right now with Trump being the presumed 2024 candidate, it's hard for Republicans to say what we're doing right now isn't working. We got to put some daylight between ourselves and this guy who's, I mean, frankly, getting weirder. He's worse now, I think, in his messaging than he was as president. The other thing is that being crazy is sort of good for a candidate's profile, especially on social media. Moderation doesn't really sell all that well. Marjorie Taylor Greene, she's not really that powerful, like in the House, like she was off committees for ages, but she's a conservative kingmaker because she's a memer, really. She's having all the fun. She's blowing up a Prius with a grenade launcher. No one really wants to to pull back when the momentum of the party is still swinging to the right and everyone's going to call you a socialist, everyone's going to call you a Republican in name only. Eric Greitens is going to make a ad about you where he says he's going rhino hunting. So I think there's a lot of incentive within the party just to keep going toward the fringes. I think acknowledging that what they're doing is ineffective would maybe trigger some existential issues that I don't think they're ready to confront yet. Yeah, this is something we talk about a lot here on the podcast, which is how the right-wing media ecosystem is really not set up in any way for moderation. As you mentioned, there's no incentive to say, hold up, guys, like maybe we need to go back to, we just need to get a pretty moderate blue state governor who's a Republican or something like that. And that just is not what the base wants. I mean, you mentioned Marjorie Taylor Greene, who's like a massively powerful member of the House. And look, I mean, speaking of the House, we're headed into a time where Kevin McCarthy, if he manages to get speaker, is really going to be beholden to the Freedom Caucus. So I think we're going to get a lot of these like crazy, crazy messaging bills. Like there's probably going to be like a transports bill. There's going to be all these kind of wacky things. The investigations alone, I just think are going to be fascinating. I mean, like their first big announcement, right, was the Hunter Biden laptop investigation. I think there's going to be a like FBI corruption investigation. And I was looking at this report or these questions from the group of whistleblower FBI agents who call themselves the suspendables that Republicans have really latched onto. And so it's one of my favorite things is when we can really just get like someone with some amount of influence to like vomit their brain out and give us what's on their mind. And in this case, it wasn't just like, why did you raid the January 6th home, some January 6th guy's house with a SWAT team or whatever. But it was like, were too many FBI agents devoted to the investigation of the NASCAR noose thing, if you remember that from a few years ago. So like, I mean, these guys, I think, are just going to be dredging up just like the best stuff going. And so I just don't think there's going to be a ton of moderation. I mean, I think if I had to put money on it right now, I would say we're headed towards like once again a trump nomination and probably a blowout against republican in 2024 unless something changes yeah if i would flag one more point I, there's a tweet i wish i could remember who it was from because it was from someone on the right and he said as a conservative why do you think i'm more upset about some midterm losses than i am about the overturn of roe and i think that's really important right a lot of their recent wins don't necessarily need to be electoral it doesn't really matter if they have a majority in the senate right now they've already received 
achieved one of their biggest wins in decades and decades through Trump's appointments in the Supreme Court. So in some ways, the crazy does pay off for them. It's just not necessarily immediate gains. And I think that they might be bolstered by a win like the overturn of Roe v. Wade to just keep going in this hardcore messaging because eventually sometimes it does pay out for them. Yeah, I mean, that's like the whole point of politics eventually is to win these kind of like lasting victories like overturning Roe v. Wade was for Republicans. So, I mean, they did get something for it. And now this one, look. I know we've been doing some heavy electoral strategizing, but now we're really going to drop some truth bombs. Let me read this one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> there was a DJ duo that became the unofficial DJs of the MAGA movement over the past five years called Milk and Cooks. I was just at EDC, Las Vegas. Now, I had to look this up, but that's the Electric Daisy Carnival. I guess it's like an EDM thing. And while there, I remembered that they were big enough that they got a full profile in Politico. Whatever happened to Milk and Cooks? Just before we dive in here, I went back to this Politico profile from 2019. Now, Milk and Cooks are like a... They're kind of like very Chad-looking DJ duo. They're like the chain smokers if they were openly Republican. Exactly, yes. That's a good way to put it. Now, here's the Politico story. Sculpted with a strong jaw and cheekbones and standing six foot two, James, who's one of the milk and or cooks, James stands out even among the horde of 20-something party bros who have descended on the club. And not just for the way he looks. All the while, James snakes his way through the club. He talks about how Donald Trump possibly holds the secret to free, sustainable energy. Trump's uncle was an MIT scientist, and he got access to the files the FBI got from Nikola Tesla, (laughs) James tells me. So that's who we're dealing with here. So Kelly, what's what's going on with Melkin Cooks? Yeah, just going to say, that's my favorite kind of conspiracy theorist, the sort of free energy, that kind of person. That's really good. That's when you know they've been in the weeds. But Melkin Cooks, right? So they're kind of, Republicans always want to have this counterculture, and these are sort of, maybe some of the top DJs in the Trump MAGA music scene. So I did a little bit of digging on them because I actually had not heard of them before. Maybe it's because their Let's Go Brandon song kind of mixed into the background noise of all the other Let's Go Brandon songs. But this one's pretty good, pretty high production values. So I'm sorry to our Milk and Cooks super fans, but they seem to be kind of on hiatus. They had an interesting project that they were teasing for a while end of last year where they were going to Roswell to invest investigate UFO sightings for a documentary. And it didn't seem to come out. Something happened. We haven't seen the documentary. Maybe they uncovered too many deep secrets. I feel like Milk and Cooks, what we found out in this investigation was Milk and Cooks were a little like trippier than I realized. Like, I thought they were much more kind of like mainline MAGA, but it seems like they got a little Q shaman in them. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. There's some weird stuff going on in there. A lot of MAGA, say MAGA rappers, Forgiato Blow or whatever, they're sticking pretty close to the memes or release a song every couple of weeks with whatever Trump said that basically the text of his last Truth Social post. These guys are a bit more selective. Their last song is from end of last year. It's the Let's Go Brandon Club mix. <laughs> <laughs> and they did post that they're taking a break from music together to focus on individual projects, although they did appear to DJ CPAC in August. But back to your point, they're a little in the weeds. They've got some interesting theorizing, some openly anti-Semitic theorizing going on right now. They're very big on the Kanye anti-Semitism train. They're retweeting a lot of people saying some unsavory things. But last IRL sighting of them working on projects together. This was at this Roswell UFO documentary they were shooting. That's interesting. I don't know if you saw this, but the FBI recently rated like the number one Roswell obsessive. What? I guess Area 51 kind of related, right? So maybe Milk and Cooks got too close to the truth. (laughs) 
It's interesting. Like you kind of think of the early, like maybe the first couple of years of the Trump administration. I feel like they're really like of that era. You flagged here a tweet from them. This is like really like the anti-Semitic DJs. They say the sudden trend of the phrase business people to describe high powered media elite Jews is freaking hilarious. LOL. Oh, brother. That is out there. Yeah. I mean, this is most people kind of know better than to say that. I think most people with a brand with something to sell, which is what these guys do. And they're coming out swinging here. They're a bit more open about this stuff than I think maybe, oh, I want to say a J.R. Majewski in his rap era would be, but I'm not totally familiar with J.R. <laughs> Majewski's rap catalog. Yeah. it Honestly, that I feel like this investigation into the Milken Cooks oeuvre has turned sour. So I just want to say I messaged Milken Cooks on Instagram because I wanted to see what they were up to. I said one of our listeners has asked for an update on Milken Cooks, and we would love to know what you're doing these days. And unfortunately, they did not reply. So Milk and Cooks, the invitation to come on the pod remains open. Let's hear the Let's Go Brandon club mix again. We'll make it our intro music. And one other thing I would say here is like, it sort of feels like the MAGA music world, I think really has become dominated by rap, right? You mentioned Forgiato Blow. Bryson Gray is another one. Like these guys who can just turn out these raps super quickly, I think really have an edge on someone like Milk and Cooks, who's doing more of a kind of in the stew, working on their like sandstorm type thing. <laughs> Maga Sandstorm. No, I think it's interesting, too, because, I mean, EDM is not doesn't have as much political coding. I mean, half of it doesn't really have words or anything. And I'll say it like most EDM DJs are white, whereas rap, if you have a white guy rapping pro Trump stuff, that's much more of a counter messaging to the bulk of rap music, which maybe Maga people want to listen to aesthetically, but don't feel like they agree with. So I can definitely see why there might be less of a current market for Maga EDM. And I'm curious to see what their solo projects turn up and if they are any less skeptical of Jews. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Jeez. All right, let's move on. What do we have next, Kelly? So here's a good question, kind of about the gradations of right-wing media. He writes, your show, along with a few others, such as Knowledge Fight or Posting Through It, they focus on the fringier, more outlandish characters and perspectives in right-wing media. But when I listen to some of the more, quote, serious and mainstream right-wing voices, let's say Mark Levin or Sean Hannity, there's not a whole lot of daylight between them and what various Breitbart or Bannon or even Alex Jones-esque voices are saying. The delivery and tone may be different, but the messages and perspectives are close, if not identical. My question, where does the nutty right-wing voice end, giving way to, quote, more acceptable or mainstream voices? Voices in the right-wing media. What's the difference between Mark Levin and the more out-there personalities on the right? Or are they pretty much the same in 2022? That's a good question. I think it's a good question, too. And it sort of gets at what we were talking about a little earlier about the right-wing media's sort of inability to moderate itself. There is a difference in some ways, right? I mean, Mark Levin is, just to, to take an example, and like, we could think of a couple people this way. I mean, like Mark Levin, Ben Shapiro, maybe like Dan Bongino. There's a couple people like this. What do you think of this? I think the right that they're 
fairly in lockstep with their messaging. It's just presented in slightly different ways. I think one of the key distinguishers actually is sort of like production value. Fox has a full set and maybe they'll use a few more euphemisms than some of the lower budget productions that will put it right out there. What comes to mind really when we're talking about this as a gradation is that to me, Steve Bannon's war room really splits the difference between these more mainstream Fox primetime shows and the really bottom of the barrel stuff that's getting uploaded to Rumble. His war room looks like shit. It's just him talking into a microphone, terrible graphics on the side, just really garbage. But he gets these big name guests who will probably later that day be on Fox and they say the insane things that they might say in a slightly more coded way on Fox. So I think there is actually a reasonable amount of unity in the messaging. You can just sort of choose your own flavor of it. Are you going to use a few more euphemisms on Fox, a little bit more care as to whether they're going to get sued or not? Or are you going to go all in some kind of rumble video that's going to go viral on Telegram. And I think it's all about the shamelessness that certain personas want to espouse and certain people want to watch. The Steve Bannon thing is a great way to put it. I mean, you have like sort of this line between like Steve Bannon sort of exists, I imagine, almost like a Sebastian Gorka level where it's like these guys are not really getting invited to Fox, but they're like not, as you said, I mean, they're not really getting banned from YouTube. They're not saying like, hmm, like, see, these Democrats are all pedophiles. I mean, they're probably saying they're groomers, perhaps. But Kelly, another example you brought up here is this idea of these Dominion, like the voter fraud lawsuits. I mean, how do you think that's playing out in terms of splitting the right wing media? OK, so this is so interesting to me because so you've got the further right news channels that still you can stream on a regular TV without a cucks box. And those are things like Newsmax, OANN. But what's really become, I think, sort of a leveling factor between a Newsmax and a Fox News is that Newsmax is getting walloped by this lawsuit from Dominion Voting. Newsmax insinuated that Dominion was behind a massive voter fraud scheme. And Dominion's like, yeah, no, we're not. And they sued them along with Mike Lindell. All kinds of fun litigation flying right there. And so now when people start going on the crazy tangents that you know that Newsmax would actually really love to platform, their hosts have to be like, oh, stop. We don't say that about Dominion Voting pending a lawsuit. So I think that's interesting. I think it's sort of maybe taking the edge off some of the more insurgent media there. And it just kind of flattens the terrain a little bit. They're all saying relatively similar things, either in a coded way, suggesting things that they don't want to get sued over. Or if they're a smaller fish, if they've got to be a bit punchier to make their name, they will say these things out in the open and just sort of dare a dominion to sue them, hope that they're not a big enough deal. That's a great point. The dividing line, maybe there's many of them. It's sort of like when you have one of these things that really kind of calls for, there's a hard line you have to take on it. And so this might be voter fraud or saying specifically X guys did it. Or in this case, like I also think of maybe like the recent Kanye's anti-Semitic remarks where Fox News maybe, well, it's probably most convenient for them to ignore it. And then you go a little further down the line and then people will say, oh, well, he's a genius. He's moving the Overton window. And it's like, towards what? You know, but they're not explicitly going to endorse what he's saying or people will say, well, he certainly has a free speech right to say it. And it's like, well, yeah, I guess so. And then you 
go further and then people say, well, yeah, I think he's making a great point. And so that's kind of like how those gradations break out. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Fox, it, what's so funny is Fox actually had the scoop on the Kanye Nazi stuff and they edited it out. We know that from a Vice News report. So they're all working with pretty much the same material. It's just, you know, how blatant they want to be about it. Do they want to platform that explicitly and have their anchors deal with it on air? Or do they want to pass the buck, make the slightly lower rung news channels deal with it? And I think that's really all that's happening. Hey, Will, here's an interesting one. This person writes, I'm wondering if we're far away enough to start understanding the effects of the death of Rush Limbaugh. Has it had an impact on right wing radio? This is the first midterm where he wasn't whipping up outrage for get out the vote. Do we think that had an impact on the red wave that wasn't? Yeah, I had to take this as a teen ditto head myself, just thinking of Rush's memory, the Mannheim steamroller he would always play around this time of year, and the theme song where it'd be like, boom, ba-ba, boom, (laughs) ba-ba. So yeah, I grew up listening to Rush Limbaugh, and I'll tell a little personal story. It was, of course, another summer where I was at home blasting the talk radio, and Rush was doing like a weirdly, he was working a little blue. He was really criticizing Bill Clinton's mom and making these allegations about her sexual history. And he was like, he did it once, and my mom was like really annoyed that I was listening to it because I was like 11 years old. And then someone, he was like, all right, a listener called in. She said she loved my bit so much, I'm going to do it again. And then my mom was so annoyed that she actually called the radio show, and she was like, you need to understand middle schoolers are listening to this. So that's my... My experience with Rush Limbaugh. But look, this is the Will Summer origin story. No, it really is. It really is. I was like, interesting. Because I was definitely, that was my first thought about the trends and topics in right wing media. So, the great question. And Rush was obviously a legend in the game, perhaps the only talk radio host who is fun to listen to if those are not your politics. When I would be, whenever I was in a car, even after I no longer was part of the Ditto Head Army, I certainly would listen to him when he was on because he was a fun broadcaster. And the guys now, there was a lot of talk about, like, Dan Bongino, I believe, inherited his specific networks or syndicator slot. But there are a lot of other people have popped up in that time slot because it's just no longer, obviously, you don't have this dominant figure. But I have to say, obviously, we don't have any statistics on did Rush hurt midterm turnout. It's a fun idea to play with. I do have to say, there has not been like someone who has become as dominant a force on talk radio. I mean, I think of who else is on there. I mean, Dan Bongino, just not as fun. Right. Glenn Beck, he was a maybe an up and comer or like a possible rush successor, but he sort of tucked his tail between his legs midway through the Trump presidency. Of course, he's back. He's a MAGA guy now, but I can't imagine that inspired a lot of confidence in people. Yeah. I mean, some of these guys are, it's like, how did this guy ever get on the radio? I mean, Mark Levin, for example, is a truly upsetting character to listen to. <laughs> I'll turn him on sometimes and he's just ranting. He's, I mean, it's hard to stress how, what an unpleasant listen he is if you haven't listened to him before. He's just mad, mad, mad all the time. I mean, there was a reason he was kind of condemned to the drive time hour while Rush ruled the waves. It's a great question. I think additionally, not just the when we talk about Republican turnout, but also how many people were turned on to being Republicans by Rush, because you would overhear this and you'd be like, this guy's pretty funny. This guy's got some humor behind him. And maybe I'm working at this job and my coworker insists on blasting Rush for three hours a day. I think there was a red pilling effect there. Yeah, I think Rush is sort of the OG red pill. I mean, he's pre-social media. Obviously, people listen to him for decades. I know people in my personal life who he was sort of their main connection to conservatism. I was even in the grocery store the other day, eavesdropping, because that's what I do on two people who are talking about how Rush opened their eyes, started their path down the Republican journey. And so I'm not sure how much of an effect it had on the get out the votes. Again, we don't have any stats or anything, but I do think it's interesting his removal as an on-ramp to conservatism for people. And I'm not really sure who 
well, granted, I'm not sure a lot of very young people were listening to them outside of 11-year-old Will, but I'm not sure who the replacement is for that. I will flag, though, when it comes to young people, I was in the absolute weeds of an after-school program that Candace Owens Foundation claimed it was running. It's really run by a church. The funding is extremely murky, but I've published about that. But one thing that stood out was after school, they were reading the Rush Revere series to the kids where what if Rush Limbaugh were a Paul Revere? And so I think his footprint is still just massive in conservative media. And you're not seeing the Dan Bongino franchise of children's books yet. Or if it exists, frankly, I don't want to know about it. Yeah, I think he might be doing one of those ones where it's like that magical world where it's like the Flamingo gang and the dangers of cancel (laughs) culture or whatever. I actually have a list here of other talk radio hosts. This is the Talkers Magazine 2021 Top 10. So let's run run these folks down. They've never contacted me. <laughs> yeah, where's our show? So I'm going to run these guys down and why they will never live up to a man himself. All right, Sean Hannity. Eh. Folks, Sean Hannity's big deal is you can always really tell when he's reading his monologue. It stinks. Dave Ramsey, a little different, kind of a finance guy. Obviously, this is the guy who says, like, never get a credit card, whatever. Mark Levin, not hitting right. Brian Kilmeade, who cares? Joe Madison, I'm not familiar with. He's on a show called Urban View. I think he may not be necessarily a conservative host. Dana Loesch, Dana Lash. I'm not super familiar with her stylings as a host. I don't I don't think it's good. Mike Gallagher, who's a guy associated with Sinclair, I believe, on In the Mornings. He actually, I used to listen to him a lot when I was driving to internships in Houston. And I got to say, he's got some heart, but still his politics execrable. And he's not going anywhere. Tom Hartman, I don't know. Michael Berry, Houston hometown legend. I believe a former council member who has climbed his way up to be a nationally syndicated host. Absolutely awful person. <laughs> I don't think he's going anywhere. And a guy named Joe Pagliarulo or Joe Pags, I think is on Sirius. So really, there's no obvious contender for the crown. Yeah, I mean, nothing hits like Rush, right? He's hard to follow. And I mean, frankly, he's the only conservative talk radio host who won. Did he win the Presidential Medal of Freedom? Did that happen or did I? Yes, thought that was a hallucination really happened. I would love to win the Presidential Medal of Freedom. I'm putting that out there. It's our nation's highest civilian honor. All you have to do is sell out (laughs) really, really hard. But I think you've got the charisma. The other thing I would want to note here is that this idea that Russia's death roughly a year and a half ago has hurt midterm turnout is popular with Angela Curasone of Media Matters, who's the top guy over there. And apparently he's a big popularizer of this idea. And I got to say, it's a good one. I think this is one of these kind of like ideas that you don't think of. And then someone points it out and you go, huh, that might be true. All right. We got another question here. A listener taking a casual approach to us, which I appreciate. We're all just hanging out, talking about our favorite dog radio shows. Okay. Dude. WTF happened with Ali Alexander, one of the most prominent and visible organizers of January 6th, and then he just vanished into thin air. He also seems to share Ye's delusions of grandeur. But it seemed like his career, in quotes, was reaching a kind of crescendo prior to his disappearance from the public eye. I know you guys have mentioned him in passing every now and again, but where is he? How did he escape investigation? What's he up to now? This is a letter from Merrick Garland. (laughs) 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 So, Kelly, what is Ali up to now? I mean, define it now, because Ali has, like, kind of thrown the idea of linear time out the window. He claims that he can time travel, that he's using it for political influence. So let's back up a little bit, because Ali, as we know, he's one of the main organizers, I think a permit holder of the rally that preceded the January 6th riot. I think that was him in his prime, right? He had this video of him looking at the destruction he wrought and saying, I do not disavow this. And after that, he just kind of shimmied back into his hole. Nobody heard from him for months. He was hiding out. He's emerged again. He appears to be in LA, but he has been making a series of really out there videos claiming 
mentioning just, I would say, maybe scientifically dubious things about his political influence. I'm going to read one of my favorites. This was shortly after Carrie Lake lost in Arizona. Of course, fans like Ali are contesting that happens. He says, even if Carrie were to lose, I would will it into existence. And I know this sounds kooky and I know that sounds crazy. Don't catch me on a wild day. And I think we've touched on this before. He went on to say that he, with his mind, almost got Pete Davidson to die of suicide. He goes on to say, quote, what if I told you that time traveling is easier than you think? It requires a lot of discipline and no machines. What if I told you that the reason why the New World Order wants you to focus on fiction stories about machines is they don't want you to know that everyone has access to time travel? And this is going to get anti-Semitic. What if I told you that the way that those of us fight is we are each pulling from time itself? It's, of course, the Jews' time travel. That's what makes the apostasy so great. So what is Alexander up to right now? The answer is maybe hallucinating. The question is not where is he, but when is he? (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I mean, hallucinating might be, I mean, he has this, our correspondent here wrote like delusions of grandeur. And I think that's a great way to put it because he has these kind of like Ali willed this into existence. Ali predicted this, like whenever something happens, he's like, didn't I tell you this would happen? You puny mortal. As we are recording this, this may have changed since then, but he is sort of supposed to be kind of the reigning right wing figure right now in Ye slash Kanye's orbit. He had this like sort of tenuous connection to him even years ago. It was a little unclear to me the extent of, but now he appears to really be in the mix. He appears to have helped oust Milo Yiannopoulos and that now there's kind of there's this feud brewing between them. I think the question of like, how has he escaped prosecution for January 6th is, I think It's a little unclear whether he committed any official crimes. He had the rally permit for, I believe it was called the Wild Rally outside of the Capitol, that he claims it was not meant to become violent and that it was that these people coming from the ellipse that should have then come to his rally, then just sort of almost like his rally never even got going. But I mean, at the same time, I think there's a lot of evidence that his rally was not really ever set up. I think if various investigations into January 6th find like a Trump world plot to do January 6th outside of just like the Oath Keepers of the Proud Boys, I think perhaps that rally permit will get looked at more closely. But on the day itself, although he did do these things where he said, like, I don't disavow this violence, he did not like enter the Capitol or anything like that. And so I think that's how he has so far managed to avoid prosecution. Right. He's been a cooperative witness in January 6th investigations. He testified at a grand jury the summer related to January 6th because it was a grand jury. We don't know which case it was in. And listen, I would not trust Ali Alexander not to snitch for anything. I'm pretty sure investigators could threaten like one day of house arrest and he would turn over people's text messages. He is the kind of witness you want if you're an investigator. He'll roll on people. And I think one other thing we can't discount is a lot of his former colleagues facing jail time, facing pretty significant criminal investigations. I'm not just talking about January 6th. I'm talking about his friend and collaborator, Jacob Wool. He was convicted of voter suppression and recently, and I don't agree with this sentence to help enroll people in disenfranchised neighborhoods to vote. I can't think of anybody worse to be doing working the voter rolls. That's like another form of voter suppression. It's like this guy wants me to vote. Yeah, I think I'll be staying home. (laughs) That's right. Jacob Wool chasing you down the street. Wait, you have to register. So, I mean, I think Ali, he lost some of his old circle and he's trying to rebuild in one of the only places that's hiring right now, which is Kanye World. 
I think that's right. I mean, he's a guy who's always really up to something. I mean, someone reminded me recently, you mentioned Jacob Wool, of happier times when Ali, Laura Loomer, and Jacob Wool journeyed to Minneapolis to prove effectively that Ilhan Omar is a terrorist. I guess their big argument was that she married her brother. And they kind of traveled around Minneapolis. They portrayed it as like being in Baghdad, where they said, oh, we have to hire all these security guards. They're just off screen. You can't see them. Oh, someone tried to make an attempt. This was the thing, right, where it was revealed. They said, oh, this guy tweeted a death threat at us. And then it was revealed after Jacob Wool's extra Twitter accounts were discovered, it was revealed that he had faked the death threat, that it was one of his accounts. I mean, so, and they filed a police report over it. So they really had like faked a police report. And of course, nothing happened there. But it's sort of happier times, this idea that Minneapolis is just this city where just brave right wingers are just being like assassinated just constantly. So that, of course, did not come to fruition. But Ali, I'll say this about him. He's a guy who's like, he's got his hustle grind mindset where he's always finding a new thing. Yeah, he always is. It reminded me of the site that he tried launching, I think, alongside Jacob Wool. It was spelled, it was culture with three T's that failed, that didn't phase him. He's on to the next thing. So it doesn't surprise me at all that he's rolling right along and something will pop up and we will be here to cover it for you, loyal listeners. Okay. Dear Kelly and Will, what conservative or even fringe theory or allegation did you initially hear? scoff at and ultimately found to be true or have some basis in fact eventually all the spaghetti they've thrown at the wall has to stick to something right so okay really good question and i think like if i could unpack this a little bit i think one alluring thing about conspiracy theories is the ones that do have a kernel of truth to them so Okay, everyone knows the vaccines are actually microchips theory. I heard that. I'm like, this is ridiculous. And the way that they were presenting it is actually ridiculous. But they were right that there had been research into the potential of vaccines that would like carry some digital information so that doctors could find out your vaccine history. So I think that's really the case with a lot of conspiracy theories. I've spent a lot of time in the flat earth world and they will always go on about NASA's connection to Nazis. And you know what? They're totally right. Nazi scientists did actually help with early space programs. That doesn't mean that Buzz Aldrin is a fascist. So I think a lot of theories are appealing when they take a not so pretty fact that maybe a lot of the media will downplay and they'll turn that relative silence into part of a grander conspiracy plot. So I think this kernel of truth is actually more common than we think, but it's maybe misappropriated. It's invoked in the wrong way. So, I mean, from my perspective, this stuff really does often start with grains of truth. I mean, my mind obviously goes to a lot of the like satanic worship, demon stuff. And like a lot of this stuff, it's like, well, that is weird what you're pointing out, but it is just a weird thing. So I think of, for example, these sort of the decorations at the fatal Travis Scott concert in Houston, where they're like, whoa, this is like based on this Hieronymus Bosch painting about hell. It's like, well, yeah, it's just, I don't know, it's a thing, right? Or we think of the recent Balenciaga stuff or with Pizzagate where they would say these kind of, oh, look at these Democrats attending this sort of weird art performance involving sacrifice. Or isn't this kind of a weird bit of art to hang up in your house? And it, it's like, yeah, I would not have done that. <laughs> I would not want that in my house. But there's a leap there that then goes, therefore, not that this person has weird taste in art and what have you, but they must be eating children. And so we both sort of studied what makes people drawn to why X person believes in conspiracy theories and another person doesn't. And often it's people who have sort of a tendency to see things as connected and to feel that there have to be explanations for things beyond just like weird or bad thing happened in the world. But as far as other conspiracy theories, I mean, I'm not alone in this, but I'm a JFK guy and I've read American Tab 
tabloid James Elroy, which people say is the novel, but I'm not so sure. And that sketches it out for you, the idea that there was conspiracy theory behind the Kennedy assassination. And so, yeah, often I think, unfortunately, these conspiracy theories that we cover that are fake, they put us in this position that we don't want to be in of sort of saying like, you fool, you think the establishment or the government or this other institution would lie to you? And that's not really the role we want to be in. But often these conspiracy theories are just so flimsy that you sort of do have to say like, well, absent any other evidence, I think we do just have to go on what the CDC or whoever else says because i mean these conspiracy theories are just so wacky i mean this idea that children are being smuggled in rugs sold by wayfair stuff like that right absolutely none of our talk about conspiracy theories is to deny that there are actual conspiracies that totally happens around contra real conspiracy really happened our government did it i do agree it's a kind of frustrating no one wants to be the fact checker right no one wants to be the what hall monitors the current popular term on twitter but you know unfortunately i think the conspiracies travel pretty organic and so it behooves us to some argument in favor of truth. I just, I do want to point out one more thing. You mentioned my forays into the flat earth world. And I remember one of the last flat earth conferences I went to before COVID hit, I was standing around clearly marked as a reporter, people kind of interested, but sus. And someone goes, I was trying to establish myself in conversation. I'm like, I get it. I don't agree with you, but I do agree that some conspiracies are real. And he's like, what? Name the ones you think. I'm like, do you want to talk about US intervention in Latin America? <laughs> because again, it's a real thing that happened, but these aren't necessarily the conspiracies that what we describe as conspiracy theorists want to talk about. Okay, and with that, I think we are done with this round of the mailbag. Thanks for the listeners, for everyone's great questions. We could unfortunately not get to all of them, but they were all great. Look, I hope everyone enjoys the holidays. And then we return. Gird your loins, folks. Drink some cider. Get ready, because it's going to be a whole new year. We're entering a presidential election cycle. And this is, as I said before, this is we're in the cool zone now. I mean, this is when the new right-wing stuff emerges, and Fever Dreams will be there to keep you up on it. On that note, let's wrap up this episode of Fever Dreams from The Daily Beast. In future installments, we'll also be speaking to some amazing guests at The Daily Beast and beyond, from politics to popular culture. We hope you'll subscribe to us on your preferred podcast app and share the show on social media and at your family dinner table. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, I'm at Will Summer and Kelly is at Kelly Weil. That's W-E-I-L-L. Come say hi. This podcast is produced by Jesse Cannon with music by Brian DeMeglio. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.